0: I was thinking of Budapest. I was thinking of all the places I had been, bringing those pleasant distractions and havening. And while the world around me and all those people in line, because they were all from New York, so everyone's complaining in that line. <laughs> uh, everyone was complaining. I just had my headphones on and really just brought myself to a place of calm. And those two and a half hours went by so fast. And there was also a group of Buddhist monks behind me. And they were the only other group that was calm. And it was like the That's most amazing insane connection with them when I looked over and I'm like, oh my goodness, wow, this is powerful work.
1: Hello, and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp, and this is your one-stop shop for all things health, healing, Improving your relationships, travel hacks, business, mindset, and more. This podcast dives into topics that we face in everyday life with the number one goal of giving you information to help you take back your power. And today I have an incredible interview with the one and only Hillary Russo. Hillary is a trauma informed and certified holistic mental health practitioner. She is also certified in the evening techniques, hypnotherapy, where she guides me through an actual practice that you can follow along based on healing something traumatic in your own life. So Hillary began her career working in the entertainment industry, and she's been doing so for nearly 30 years. She now incorporates various healing modalities to help you overcome whatever challenges you might be facing. Now, during our conversation, it gets juicy and deep, and we talk about how Hillary was a news anchor during 9-11 and the secondary trauma that she dealt with while seeing images being spread splashed on the screen, many of which that we as the audience didn't even get to view. She had to hold it together in front of live TV while she sat there and questioned if her own family was safe in New York during the attacks. We dive into narcissism, the relationships we've both had, and how do you identify these traits in yourself and someone else? We go over victim mentality and simple yet effective. effective. Effective ways to take back your power and feel in control of your life. And Hillary also walks us through different types of trauma and how to manage it in your life. So, whether you've been in a challenging relationship that left you questioning yourself, or if you've ever wanted to get into the self help and healing but you don't know where to start, this is the episode for you. And don't forget to subscribe and follow A Sharper Life wherever you're are listening from. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review. Sharing is caring, you guys. And this helps others find out about A Sharper Life, the world-class interviews, and everything that I talk about each week. Now, without further ado, here is Hilary Russo. Hilary, I am so thrilled to have you here. And I'd like to jump just straight into the nitty gritty of it. So you have worked for more than 25 years in the media, ranging from being an award-winning television journalist, producer, multimedia host, just about everything. Now, I want to know why the shift from the entertainment world to trauma-informed coach?
0: Such a good question, Nikki. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such a pleasure to be here. So for me, I love to call it like that life is a falling into and it wasn't planned. I think my whole life, I kind of knew that if I wasn't going to be in the, in the journalism field, I was either going to be a lawyer, which my father was like, don't do, don't do law as a lawyer telling you that, or a therapist. Cause I always felt like I was holding space for people, always that person that people came to. And I think for me, it's not that I shifted out of journalism. It's that I added journalism to my everything that I do under that holistically speaking brand. Because, you know, as a journalist, you are so used to holding space for people, hearing their stories, letting them tell you what's going on, and then broadcasting it out there, right? With my practitioner work, it's the same thing, but you're really working and mirroring back at that one person what they might be dealing with. And the trauma-informed work came for me because I went through my own series of traumas. And you get this point in your life where you have a shift and you're like, I need to deal with this. I can't push this stuff under the rug. And if it's coming up for you, it's an awareness. And that's the first step to any change. So I realized from my own healing journey that I can still do what I do as a journalist and focus on health and wellness and amplify that message of well-being you know on that side and then hold a beautiful space for people that need the support and need the guidance in a much more personal way
1: amazing now obviously you can say no to this but i'd love for myself and obviously the listeners to understand what was the trauma that you went through because i do feel that many people don't understand if they've yeah. been through trauma and how to differentiate a small trauma, maybe, you know, you were bullied in school to a very large trauma, like you were raped. And there's a, there seems to be a misalignment of understanding in today's day and age, what trauma actually is.
0: So I'd love to, I guess, yeah. kind of two part question there. Totally. And, and this is a question that I get a lot because working in the trauma informed space, and obviously in this day and age with social media and everything out there, we hear these buzzwords all the time, trauma, Narcissism, gaslighting, I mean manipulation. We hear all these words, love bombing. And trauma seems to be one of those real buzzwords that's out there. It doesn't it and there's a number of different kinds of trauma. You have the big T's and the little Ts, right? Like you're mentioning. But also for something truly to be trauma encoded. For, this is science fact. For it to be trauma-encoded, it really has to have four elements. There has to be an event that took place. There has to be a meaning to it, meaning that it affects you in some way. There has to be a landscape to your brain, meaning that your brain doesn't know if it happened then or now. Like if you get into a fender bender and you cross that intersection every day and you're, you start feeling the same way you felt back when it actually happened on this day today and every day forward, that's the landscape of your brain taking you there. And there also has to be this feeling of inescapability. That's actually trauma encoding. Now, an event doesn't have to happen for trauma to happen. Like you said, we have these everyday traumas. And for me, we have what we call the original incident, the OI that happens when we're, you know, the the earliest incident of trauma that we might not even remember. For me, it was when I was a very young child. But as I got older, I realized there were a series of things that were happening in my life Uh, not unbeknownst to me, not knowing what trauma is. But I think the big shift for me, there were actually two. The two big shifts for me, the first one came on 9-11. I was a news anchor. I was working on the news desk. And I experienced what they call secondary trauma. And secondary trauma is actually not being the person experiencing the trauma, but hearing about it, seeing the images inundated with the information. And when I was sitting there looking at those news feeds day after day, interviewing people, talking about certain circumstances that happened, watching all the monitors in the master control room, that's secondary trauma. And that can be very impactful. and, and, And if you don't have the tools to know how to deal with that, it can really stunt you in many ways, you know, not having those coping skills, the self-regulating skills. And I didn't know anything like about that at 29 years old. But then the second thing for me, Nikki, was that I went through a very, very narcissistic abusive relationship. And it was later in life, you know, it was, I thought I found the one, I thought it was that person for the rest of my life and uh i went through a series of the manipulation the gaslighting where when that happens you just don't know what's going on in your life you don't you you, you, there's this sense of mania and it's not until you're out of it that you really realize i was in something very toxic and unhealthy and from that i realized that i wanted to support people in that area and you you align with those that have been through similar experiences a lot of times you ever realize that with your own clients you mirror back so those two big experiences, I think for me, allowed me the grace and compassion to want to really get into this field to hold space for those who didn't have the tools. And I wish I had those tools that I have to share with people now. Absolutely. And I actually love
1: what you just explained, the four steps, I believe it was, mm-hmm. of the event, the meaning, if it's the feeling of the, past or the- the present. Yeah. And I find it so interesting The the subconscious mind, which rules 95% of our life, the subconscious mind does not know the difference between Mm -hmm. the past and the present. And we we get so stuck in the story, the narrative, let's say of something that happened in the past. But because as you said, that kind of step number three, there's a feeling and emotion associated with it. And then also the secondary trauma. So I have a few follow up questions. And we'll We'll go a little all over the place based on what you said, but I'd like to go back to 9-11 because that's fascinating. And I'm so sorry you dealt with that. And anyone listening, if you've had any sort of trauma related, like I remember where I was when I watched Mm -hmm. 9-11. I'm sure everyone does. Can you describe a little bit more of your personal secondary trauma? Mm -hmm. What were the I guess the feelings you had, the emotions, what came up in in the sense of this secondary trauma being a news anchor from 9-11?
0: Yeah, it was a day. <laughs> and we all have our stories from it, right? Whether you were there or you were just watching it on TV or you were impacted in some, we've, we were all around the world impacted from that day. For me, I was just so heavily thrown into it Uh, Because I had to pull up my big girl pants and sit on that news desk and constantly every 30 minutes share what we knew about something we didn't know, right? Right. Because even at that point, we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know exactly what was taking place, who was involved, and how many people were being impacted by it personally there down in lower Manhattan, Right and, and the surrounding areas. And obviously, let's not forget about the other areas in Pennsylvania, the Pentagon, right? So that day for me was a series of imagery. It was some images constantly. It was sound bites constantly. It was trying to maintain a sense of composure, being the person that people trust and come to to hear what's happening as a news anchor, as a reporter, as a journalist, And keep that sense of composure while still being able to feel. My whole family lives in New York. I didn't know where my family was. So I was on the news desk a thousand miles away. While my family, I couldn't get anyone on the phone. While I'm looking at these images going on. So the secondary trauma for me was really twofold there where... I was constantly looking at images. I was constantly looking at news feeds, probably stuff that's never been released because we're seeing it live, you know, and you can Google to the day as long and watch YouTube and find pretty disturbing imagery from that day. But I imagine there are things that I saw that people did not see. And that's really secondary trauma because I'm watching something, not experiencing it, but experiencing it through somebody else, the person who's dealing with it. And, um, I didn't have the tools then. You know, I didn't understand neuroscience like I do now, working in the field that I work now. I didn't understand secondary primary trauma and I didn't understand coping skills and dealing with I didn't even know what the term self-regulation was back then, you know? And these are all things that are so powerful and empowering to have in your own life. So that you can self-soothe and self-regulate and support yourself and then have the, the, just the ability to say, I need help. I need help in a certain area,
1: you know? Yeah. And I, I love that you said that to be able to ask for help, because I Mm. see so many people in today's day and age where yeah, on Instagram and social media, we're talking about these things and trauma and narcissism. And we will get into that a little bit more, but to actually go out and say, I need help from someone, whether it's a therapist, a coach, a mentor, and the importance that you don't have to do it alone, nor should you. Mm. So with that, what are some of the the self-regulation tools or the, I guess, trauma-informed work that you know now that you wish you had back then at 9-11?
0: Well, without a doubt, I wish I had havening techniques. And I know I I talk about this a lot. I I truly believe in this modality. I studied with the founding doctors. And uh, this is a modality that it's been around about 20 years, but I think the pandemic truly put us on this next level because I was doing so much of my my mental health practitioner work via virtual. And now the telehealth world is like where we are. And although I, I studied with them in person, like I did it back before then. But havening techniques really changed my life to really separate the trauma from the event so that yes the story happened to you but you can change the narrative of how you choose, choose to live in that story right so it basically separates and what havening is is it's a psychosensory neuroscience based approach that uses touch there's three different kinds of touches like you're washing your hands or giving yourself a beautiful hug or even touching your face like a beautiful facial, when you use those three approaches along with a pleasant distraction, like something that brings you joy, going on a a beautiful honeymoon, or experiencing something with someone that you care to be with, or just something, a place in your mind that brings you joy, or even humming a song because that activates the vagus nerve or singing. When you bring it together with a pleasant distraction, you are actually altering your thoughts, moods, behaviors, And habits, You're releasing oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, and GABA in the brain. And you're putting your brain in what they call a delta wave state, which is sleep state, because you can't find calm in the chaos. So you need to bring your brain to a place of calm in order to make those changes. And it's so beautiful because it's something you can self-apply, self-haven, or for those deeper traumas, which I never recommend people doing trauma work on their own. Is Agreed. to find someone who is trauma-informed, who can hold space for you and facilitate these sessions, whether you still self-haven and it's just, you know, I, doing it through Zoom and things like this. We, we do actually have the ability to facilitate while a, a client self-havens or do it on them and, and apply the touch to them. And I wish I had those tools then because I think it would have made a big difference in pretty much everything In my life, that causes upset because it can be used for the everyday upsets to the deep rooted traumas, right? So
1: with the havening, like let's say someone has just gotten into a fight with a loved one Mm -hmm. or into a car accident or Mm -hmm. something that's you know stimulated that cortisol, it spiked. You're stressed out. You're in that ten out of ten, you know the the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through and like? I'll even like demonstrate it. So tell me how I would be doing it of like, let's say just got in a fight with my partner. I want to kick and scream the inner child's wounded. What do I do now? What is the havening technique exactly?
0: Absolutely. So if you just take some deep breaths, I'm always about breathing along with that, right? And you bring something to mind that's uncomfortable, that's causing you upset. And what you do is that pleasant distraction for that brief moment. What I want you to do, Nikki, is think about something that actually does bring you upset. It doesn't have to be that situation because okay. I know you came back from a beautiful trip, but think about something in your life that's not causing you ease, and then okay. I want you to give it a number from zero to ten. Zero, I call Namaste all day. Ten is like you're very <laughs> you're very activated. So where are you on that okay. scale? And you can share it or you don't have to. That's the beauty of hyping. Oh, yeah, you I'm I'm, don't
1: I'm trying to. to actually figure out. Specific one. Um, Okay. I have one in mind and I'll I'll tell you quickly what it is because it's a question I want to get into. But the last fight I ever had with my ex-boyfriend where I was banging a a pot pan Mm -hmm. on on the kitchen sink because of the gaslighting, the narcissism, and it triggered something in me of one, I knew like this is done, but also it it reminded me of the fights that my mom and my dad used mm-hmm. to get into. And that was the like, this is game over for me. So that would be a, a 10 out of 10 for sure, me. Sure. If
0: you bring that to mind, because it's still in, yep. it's still in your, your mind. When you bring that to mind, is it namaste all day when you think about it? Or is it like <laughs> off the charts, 10? Off the charts, 10. Okay. So I want you to just think about that for a second, the feeling that okay. you get in your body, how it makes you feel. Bring it to mind like it's happening right now, like the landscape of the brain is 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 bringing mm-hmm. that to your attention right now. Where do you feel it in your body? In my lower chest, kind yeah. of my solar plexus, in between my solar plexus and heart chakra. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so like keep it there for a second. And then what I want you to do is just let it go. And then I want you to think of something that brings you absolute joy, and then you're just okay. going to start doing the havening touch. So remember, it's like you're washing your hands, giving yourself okay. a facial, or just doing this on your arms from your shoulders down to your elbows and keep your eyes closed Okay. for a second. I love that we're doing this on the podcast and just <laughs> bring to mind what is bringing you joy and just, just we'll, we'll do a quick count from one to 20 and with each number okay. that I'm going to count, I want you to think of something within that experience or event or where you are that's bringing you joy that brings you additional joy. So if it's on the beach, maybe one is seashells. Number two is water. Number three is the smell of the air, right? So, and this can, anyone can do this right now. If you want to bring this upset in your own mind to mind, give it a number. And what would the, when you go back to thinking about that incident with the pan and the pots, what's a word that you bring to mind when you think about that? anger anger okay so you're letting it go and then you go back to that place and then what i want you to do is just haven you're going to continue haven keep your eyes shut count we're going to count from one to twenty with each number bringing you closer to that place of joy that you love to be starting with one two feeling lighter and calmer three i see a smile that's good <laughs> four five more connected, six, seven, deep breaths. Don't forget to breathe. Eight, nine, more connected, more calm. 10, deep breaths, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, deep breaths. Lighter and calmer and deeper, more connected, more calm. 16, 17, 18, 19. Take that powerful step to 20. Deep breath and then release. And you can open your eyes and tell me what the number you're at now and the word that comes to mind. Calm And like a four? Yeah. Okay. So I went like laser fast, right? Because Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But even look where you were. You were at a 10, you're at a four, you went from anger to calm. And that is basically your brain going into the delta wave state. You're Mm. changing the trajectory of how you feel towards that thing. And you're probably going to feel very differently towards that situation going forward because you've now separated it. Now having a little more time and obviously, Havening can work very fast, but having more time to really give you the experience of being able to really feel each one of those numbers, each, every step of the journey impacts you even more. But that's really the psychosensory approach, and it's really beautiful. So anytime you're feeling upset, or there's traffic, or you know, you're know you upset your partner in the home, or you're feeling overwhelmed, uh, this can really be a modality you can use for everyday situations. And you and I were talking about your recent trip. I had a similar situation coming back from France, where I was at Charles de Gaulle airport for two and a half hours in that security line. Right. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh, like just waiting, just waiting and travel is like, it's nauseating in a lot of ways. Right. But I just stood stood there and I just was self-havening. Like I had a beautiful trip. I was thinking of Versailles. I was thinking of Budapest. I was thinking of all the places I had been, bringing those pleasant distractions and havening. And while the world around me and all those people in line, because they were all from New York, so everyone's complaining in that line. everyone was complaining. I just had my headphones on and really just brought myself to a place of calm. And those two and a half hours went by so fast. And there was also a group of Buddhist monks behind me and they were the only other group that was calm. And it was like the most amazing (laughs) connection with them when I looked over and I'm like, oh my goodness, wow, this is powerful work.
1: Yeah. It is. And you know what I can say and why I wanted to do this live was one to, I mean, I'm always open to learning new techniques yeah. and seeing things that work and, and, and possibly don't work. Here's what I've learned about the self-development world is you find something that works for you, that resonates, that sticks. And most importantly that you will do, mm-hmm. because it's great if you're like, Oh, this is like, I love breath work. Mm-hmm. I don't go to any breath work classes though. So therefore it's like, it, it's not the quote unquote, you know, Methodology that works for me because I'm not committing to it. And and what I love is that the havening you can do, and it is so quick. And it's Mm -hmm. based on that self-regulation and that touch. And even my own therapist, I have a a phenomenal therapist who I've said this in podcasts before, but every coach needs a coach. Every therapist needs a therapist. And if you're working (laughs) with someone who's like I have it figured out. I don't need help. I'm like, run away, screaming, go find someone else. But my own therapist was saying that when I'm getting in those crunchy moments with my husband or in my own life, even my business where I get stressed out, mm-hmm. I need to one, affirm my inner child and mm-hmm. tell her she's safe, she's good, she's worthy. And two give myself that, that hug. And so I love that you're bringing that in as well as bringing in the mental component. So what I was thinking while doing it was, in essence, it sort of felt like I was tricking myself and f- trying to forget about the thing. Yeah. But instead of doing it on a don't think about this, don't think about that, which we know doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm redirecting my mind Correct. mixed with the touch, mixed with something. And so therefore, it's it felt like in my own mind, a redirection to say, I'm not I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm not saying the story, you know, is bad or good. I'm actually just choosing. And I think that's the most important thing. I'm consciously mm-hmm. choosing to redirect my energy to find more peace and joy in me now. Is yes. that
0: correct? You nailed it because it, it is, look, our traumas exist in our body, but it doesn't go away. We never get rid of trauma. We learn how to manage it, build a relationship with it and befriend it. And the sooner we realize, you and I realize that, your listeners, my listeners, our clients, the sooner you realize that you have the ability to change your thoughts, moods, behaviors, and habits. You have the ability to choose to choose. I choose to choose. I say that to my clients all the time. I choose to choose. You have the ability to actually understand where it's coming from. In your case, mentioning the inner child who's showing up right now loving all parts of ourselves. You get angry at something. Why are you frustrated? Who's showing up right now, Nikki? Which part of you is showing up and saying, okay, I hold space for you. I'm not ignoring you. And and the best way, like how this really works beautifully and it works so well in the havening world is that we call it CPR for the amygdala, right? The amygdala is fight or flight. The amygdala is, is that wounded child that's like, I fell, I skimmed my knee, I'm going to cry. And we we actually use this term. This is a term in the havening is the CPR for the amygdala. We call her Amy. And when you think about Amy, your amygdala as like a being rather than just a part of your brain, right? You suddenly want to nurture her. You want her to be, say, everything's okay. Everything's okay. And Amy can be whoever she is to you or he is to you. It could be the warrior. It could be the wounded child, But when you let Amy know everything's okay and you just give yourself that hug, because what happens when a child falls? They need a hug. They need to know they're okay. They're safe. I am safe. I am protected. And that's basically what you're telling your amygdala because the amygdala thinks that he's going to be, or she's going to be eaten by the saber tooth tiger every five minutes. That's the primal brain, right? So when you do this approach, you're basically like nurturing and mothering yourself with this beautiful touch oxytocin is the love hormone. That's one of the things released. And what I associate it with is like hugging it out. I call it Hug It Out. That's my program, which is really self-love. It's giving yourself the healing, the understanding, and the gratitude, H-U-G, hug. So when you hug it out with yourself, you're basically saying, okay, something's a little off in this moment, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself the ability to make an amend with my mind right? Much like you would do with someone else. If you get into a kerfuffle with someone else, oh, you guys just hug it out. It's okay. Why are we not telling ourselves that? And that's the power of the hug it out program. Like my signature system is being able to do that, realizing that's part of it, the havening, but it's so much more. I I just love it. I love the
1: hug it out. What a a (laughs) brilliant concept, truly, because you're so right that when we're younger, you have two kids that fight and you make them apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hug it out. And and what I love about everything that you're sharing is that it's obviously part somatic body work. So it's, it's yeah. using the body and it's also part in the mind. And one of the biggest things that I've learned from all of my trainings and just diving as deep as I can into this whole self-development, self-healing, whatever modality you want to call it mm. is... The mind that created the problem cannot fix the problem. And so oftentimes in therapy and specifically talk therapy, you get in there and it's like, okay, why am I in therapy for five years now? And the problem hasn't been solved. Well, because you do at some point have to go into the body work, the touch, the breath work. And so I love that. the Why is it called havening?
0: <laughs> Weird yeah, question. Great. I love that you asked that question. Okay. I don't always get that one. So havening is, is basically a haven is a safe place. That's what oh, haven means. Interesting. So we used to, it, the original term was, uh, very scientific, so I'm not even going to bring it up. But the original term that Dr. Stephen Ron Rudin came up with was not something that would resonate with people. When we think about havening, self-havening is is the safe place that you're creating in your mind. So to be right. able to creating haven, your own safe place. you're creating a safe place. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. I'm 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 glad I did too because I, when I was looking at it, I'm like
1: Havening Haven Haven mm-hmm. Havening what? But that makes so much sense. And I, what I find, and I, you might agree, you might not, but what I'm finding is that we are in such a victim culture today. Mm. And what I'm seeing from the victim mentality, the victim culture, and this is actually I'm going to bridge it to the narcissism, is people are not taking responsibility for their own, own emotions their own feelings their own self regulation and it's you like if i get in a fight with my husband that would in, in essence be you need to come to me to hug me in order for me to feel happy and calm so i've just given away all my power which means that he can in in sense give me power or take it away by the very feeling of if i say you made me angry today well i choose to be the God of my own body, my own emotions. And so I'm just, I'm seeing that because of this victim culture, which I'm not going to blame anyone. It's just, we haven't really been taught it. And with the prevalence of Instagram. So I'm curious on, do you agree or do you see something different within the self-regulation tied to victim culture?
0: Self-regulation tied to victim. I th- I think you really hit on a good point there, because if someone is not ready or willing to make a change, you can't talk them into anything. I and mean, we shouldn't be talking anybody into anything anyway. I, I'm sure you get this, but I know I have a number of people who will s- suggest, hey, you need to talk to my ex, not ex, meaning <laughs> ex-boyfriend or whatever. Like, My boyfriend, my girlfriend, my wife, my sister, you need to talk to my friend. She can really use you. He can really, you know what? That's great. Thank you so much for suggesting me. But that person needs to be at the level to want to make the change, not you telling them they need to make the change. So I won't take on a client who's told that somebody else told them to come to me and they're, they're not, they're not doing it at their own you know on their own basically because you're not ready and that's okay that maybe there's just a little more work you need to do because it's like any course we take right you're sitting there and I'm doing that right now I'm like do I want to put the investment into this course that's going to help me in this area that I need help with am I ready for that nobody can come along and be like take it right and I'm like okay <laughs> so it's it could be a course it could be working with a therapist a counselor Uh, a coach, a practitioner, whatever it is, until you are at a state of, I need an adjustment and a change here. Something's off. Something's off kilter. That's the awareness. That's the first step. I talk about awareness, moving into an allowance, meaning like you're allowing yourself to go there. And then there's the alignment. It's my triple A's. So if you're not reaching that state of awareness first, how in the world are you even going to be able to take it in? Cause you're sitting there going, why am I here? Right. Does that make sense? And I'm trying to think what your original question was. No, that's, that's,
1: <laughs> but I, 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 fully agree. And I think exactly what you said, where it ties into this, because victim mentality is a big trending thing on, on Instagram, on social media. And really what I see with, with the prevalence of this, of this victim mentality is that the person might just not be aware of their own emotions, their exactly. own feelings. And it's easier to blame someone else yeah. than it is to look at yourself because the self work, looking at the the shadow work, the pieces of you that maybe you don't like, mm-hmm. it's hard and not everyone wants to do that. And so we see it, it becomes easier to say, you know, the point, the finger, you did mm-hmm. this to me, you did this. And I'm going to put this comma. And sometimes this victim culture, victim mentality is that someone doesn't have the tools. They haven't had the trauma yet. Like you went through two big traumas to then really dive into the work. And I do see that instead of pointing out people and saying, you know, this is victim mentality, which I don't agree with, by the way, I don't think that we should be canceling things and cancel culture, Mm -hmm. but I do think that there is a place that we have to give people grace to find the work on their own rather than once again labeling like you're doing this and so i want to actually tie that into narcissism because mm-hmm. i've dealt with a very narcissistic relationship gaslighting all the things mm-hmm. and once again it's really easy to point the finger and say he did this he was you know an a-hole he did da, 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 da. but i had to take a really hard look at myself and say but where was i mm-hmm. either mirroring those qualities because I'm also seeing, you know, narcissism, gaslighting, trending on social media. It's very easy to point a finger and mm-hmm. say, you know, you're a narcissist. And and I do want to go over what what a narcissist, what traits could be. Mm-hmm. And also, how do you know if you're also doing it? Because that was mm-hmm. the biggest shift for me was instead of going through the blame game. Which ties into kind of this victim culture of saying, you know, he did this, he was, this is this, he, whatever, gaslit me. Okay, but Nikki, like, where did you do similar things? And yeah. that literally, when I realized I was in a narcissistic relationship with myself, mm-hmm. that was it, with mm-hmm. myself. So the relationship with him was just the projection of who I was to me. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience with narcissism, if you found that you were mirroring any of those traits, like the relationship with yourself, and then how can someone identify a narcissistic trait or behavior in themselves or someone else?
0: That's such, a, that's such a great topic. We need to talk about this more, and I'm so glad we're talking about this. And going back to the victim, we are all responsible. I mean, you, we're responsible for our own actions, reactions, and responses, how somebody reacts and responds is their responsibility, right? And the moment you realize that you have a choice to be a victim or a victor, right? And when you sit back and say, okay, I have, I can stay in this place, this negative space, allowing someone else to have the power over my emotions, my feelings. And it's not its not saying that that person did not have an impact on how you are choosing to feel. But the moment you decide, okay, I'm resilient. I, I've been on this planet longer than that person has been in my life. Sometimes not because that narcissist could be your mom or your dad. Right there's different kinds of narcissism. we see more of the narcissism out there as like the relationship, the traditional mm-hmm. relationship, but let me tell you something. there's a difference between narcissistic personality disorder, which I think we are like diagnosing everyone on social media with it, which is yeah not okay to do if it's not in your, your, your if it's outside your scope of practice. And also, even if it is your scope of practice, you can't diagnose somebody through the social media and the internet. You need to, you need to like know that person, right? Um, but there's also you and uh, you and me, everybody has narcissistic tendencies. And I'm that's I'm so okay. glad you said that. But it's whole, I'm okay. So glad. Yeah. It's, it's okay to be a little narcissistic. Do not put yourself in the boat like the rest of like the real narcissists, you know, abusers. Good Lord, we can't do that to ourselves. And I think that's the distinction is that we hear the word narcissist and we hear instantly gaslighting, manipulation, love bombing. We put it all in this one category. And then you hear somebody's like, you are you have narcissistic tendencies or you're being kind of a narcissist right now. And you're like, oh. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not a gaslighter. We instantly think I'm not the, I'm not the one creating that victim over there, right? You don't want to be responsible for hurting someone in that way, which can also be a little narcissistic, right? Mm -hmm. So for narcissism, you know, it's, it's a very, oh boy, to, to look, there's a, there's a, there's a quote out there that I love and it's, A narcissist will spend the rest of their lives blaming you for the things that they've done, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Narcissists don't take responsibility for anything. It's very difficult to change a narcissist, actually someone who's been like NPD that has a disorder. It's hard to change them. Stop worrying about changing someone else and worry about changing yourself. What is it about you that is troubling you and you and I both being in an actual narcissistic abusive relationship, realize you don't really know even what's going on when you're in it, especially if the gaslighting's taking place, you know, and that term is also buzzword. There's feelings of like, you think you're crazy and mania. What is going on? (laughs) Like, 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 I remember saying when I was going through it to my family, I feel like I'm in some kind of a, drama, like some movie. My life has been beautiful growing up. I had good relationships. Where the heck did this evil person come from? But it was when I started to realize that that person had a lot of unhealed trauma and that person and seeing that person as a child that wasn't nurtured in a way and realizing I don't need to respond to everything he says, which is when he really got unhinged because they don't like when they're ignored, right? I took my power back. And I also realized there were things I did in that relationship in reaction to what he was doing, not doing to me, but doing, we won't even say because that makes you the victim, that I can choose to react in a different way. Now, listen, I was hurt. You were hurt. Your listeners out there who have been through this are hurt, but the inner child showing up when we're trying to like, give it back or blame it on someone else rather than that's not okay to allow one in my space. And I am not, and I have boundaries. And, and while this hurts and is causing me pain, I'm not doing any justice to myself by giving it back just because I'm the wounded child. That's where you start realizing. And then once you get out of it, cause it's all about boundaries. It's all about boundaries. That's the true taking the power back when you don't react, you don't respond and you realize I no longer have space for you in my life. You are not healthy for me. I mean, have a good life. (laughs) (laughs) Hilary,
1: you just brought it full circle on that. Everything that we, we started talking about with that kind of victim mentality, which is the, you, you do this, you're doing this, it's your fault and bringing that to I won't allow this. I'm not trying to change you, right? So even if someone has a narcissistic tendency, behavior, quality, trait, it's I'm not trying to change that in you because, and I think this is really important for you, the listeners, research has shown that narcissism, it's a consequence of childhood trauma. Yes. So the very person that you're sitting there talking about on Instagram, oh, my ex was a, you know, this is this gaslighting that is unresolved childhood trauma. And once you realize that, at least for me once I realized that, it was like oh, I don't I don't need to react because this is I'm not talking to the adult version of you. I'm literally talking to that 5-year-old who is kicking and screaming. And very similar to you, Hillary, once I started getting more awareness around this and As hard of the relationship that I was in, it was on and off for six years and all the things, toxic, traumatic, and also there was love. It's not like I just, Mm -hmm. you know, stuck around for all the bad things. But when I started realizing all of the patterns, all of the stuff in me, the childhood, it ended up becoming... This relationship and this man became my greatest teacher yes. and propelled me into the deepest learning. And I'm like, all I can say, and I literally, I, I remember when we we would go through our breakups, I would change his name in my phone with with the butterfly and the the little like grateful emoji. I changed his name to teacher in my phone because Beautiful. he's my teacher. He's been yeah. my greatest teacher to help propel me to where I am today. And had I not gone through that relationship, I don't think I would have. Doven is deep into the inner child work and the self healing and the victim mentality and taking ownership and taking my power back to I mean, it's the the hardest things we go through in life, just like what you know, you said, like with 9-11, it propels you into some of the greatest healing, which leads to the greatest feeling of joy, fulfillment, and and ultimately freedom. I think that's why we do this work is to find freedom.
0: Absolutely. And this goes right back to when I talk about the hug it out system, that last step, that little dangling thing at the end is the G, the gratitude. And my relationship, much like yours, much like your listeners out there that are probably many of them have been through this or something similar, the gratitude you have for the lessons in your life when you're able to sit there and go, wow, I would never in the moment I was going through it say that this is the best thing that could have ever happened to me, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It has brought me to this place where I can serve others. I can do it with more intention because I understand it because I've been through it. And I also have that compassion and grace to hold space for somebody because i we are, we live in this judgy mind, you know, we, somebody, you know, does something, you're so quick to be like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. It's not really until you really go through it that you're like, Oh, I'm really not sure if I would have or not done that because you're not in it. So having a better understanding of that is really empowering. And I know, and, and the I think about, I can't even like, because I've Haven this as well, because I've been through Havening with the founding doctors who actually hated me on my divorce, um, I I really I don't look at it the same way I did before. I can actually every time I see that person or if they're you know if, or talk about them with somebody else, I feel like there's more upset with the other person than with me talking about it. Like I've released it, I'm okay with it. And when parts of me come up that remind me of it and the negativity of it, I might be like, oh, okay, you know what? That was painful. But boy, oh boy, on this side of things, it's quite beautiful. Thank you for the lesson you taught me. Thank you for giving me the gift of understanding myself better and healing and gratitude. And it's the greatest teacher I ever had, you know? So when we look at things that way, we not only release and let go and surrender the pain and the upset and that, that victim feeling, we also create the space for something new and a new narrative that we can create from part of the story that we've lived. Because these are all life experiences and they're really important for us. Beautiful. And just.
1: Everything that you, you said, you summed up so well from what we've spoken about in terms of the hugging it out, the self-regulation, changing the narrative, the story. So it's not to say, you know, we've all gone through some sort of trauma, some sort yeah. of bad thing that's happened, something that maybe you wish you didn't. And then when you learn how to change the narrative on that, that's where the real power is. And that's where, as I said, the freedom. So I want to end on a slightly different note. Now, you have been in the entertainment industry for quite a while. And from the outside, just like someone looking at Instagram on my Instagram from the outside, it looks super glamorous. Can you give us some behind the scenes of what it's really like We're talking about trauma. We're talking about, obviously, the narratives that people have. So any sort of juicy bits of what what the entertainment industry is really like when you peel back those layers.
0: Are we talking just about television work? Sure. Like journalism?
1: Peeling yeah, back the layers. There. Well,
0: I mean, journalism is a fast paced world. I think my brain sometimes lives on a deadline because I'm so used to the deadline and that is not good. And I, I actually have a program with one of my colleagues called Broadcast Burnout, where we support journalists like we do workshops at television, st- television stations because if you it's either secondary trauma or it's burnout and burnout goes back to the deadlines and goes back to the fast paced world of get the story out. If it bleeds, it leads. What a horrible thing to say. If it bleeds, it leads. And if we're, if we have that in our mind as people in the journalism field, it can be very, it's, it's putting you in that sympathetic nervous system. Like you're constantly in a creative, that, that state of, Oh my gosh, I got to get this done. And that's burnout. Right. That's burnout. And it can be secondary trauma if you're seeing something negative. But in that way, a lot of people think the field of television journalism and being an anchor and a reporter and being out there on stories and doing all the great stories as much as doing the not so great stories is really this like amazing experience. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and sometimes you have to take a step back and not take the work home with you, right? So on that side of things, that's a big thing. And also it is it is a field, you know, going outside just journalism, but, you know, many of my years I spent also as a professional actor as well. You know, I took a break after 9-11 from the TV world and went on back on stage and, that entire world of where you are the focus of attention could be very overwhelming. The self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, is that person going to get the role, the part, the, the gig? And I know with you being a model, you understand this, right? Very it's, much, it yeah. is, it is a career of rejection before it's a career yeah. of, you know, Success. celebration. Yeah. Right. And You have to not, and I hate when people are like, oh, you have to have tough skin. No, don't have a tough skin. Just, if anything, have a soft skin, have a soft heart to it. Take everything with grace. Thank you for this ability to walk in here and be asked to audition or be asked to show up for a potential model shoot or whatever it is. And those times that you have down times as well. Thank you so much for giving me the space to just sit here and enjoy this moment before I have to do this or that. And I know I saw this a lot in my business, especially when I took a break from news and was doing more hosting and casting calls and living in New York and hustling. You would go into these casting calls and you would see a lot of people looking around and you could just tell that there was a sense of insecurity. They don't, What are you doing here? Why are you here? You could just feel it. And I never allowed myself to have that because I wanted to show up saying I'm the best I am and and not take that in, not take that negativity in and root for us because root for anyone in that room because life is abundant. And when we look at it as there's so much abundance out there and there's enough for all of us, that's when more of that comes back to you right? So amazing. That's important. Yeah. Anything you want to add there? No, just, I think it's just realizing, well, yes, it's realizing that when we come from a place of abundance and realize that all is well and everything is happening for us, for the highest good and compassion and grace. And when we're willing to let go of our agenda and when something doesn't work out for you, it doesn't mean that it's not being worked out for you. You just have your own agenda and that's your block. You're blocking the higher self from actually doing the work it already knows to do. So it's really that moment of getting out of your head, taking a step back and realizing all is well, all is well. And this this or something better is happening in my life. This or something better.
1: Amen to that.
0: What does a sharper life mean to Hillary? It means living a life of intention. It means surrounding yourself and giving yourself grace and compassion because we are so hard on ourselves. And that in turn means holding space for yourself to hug it out with healing, with understanding and with gratitude and be okay. Standing in the tension. And letting go, surrender, know that all is well, that everything is happening for you. And even if you don't see that outcome, it is like the sharp arrow that is projecting forward and happening for you. If you just give yourself the space and grace to allow that to happen and get out of your own head and out of your own way because you're on the journey and it's going forward.
1: Absolutely. Beautiful answer. Thank you so much. And where can people find you?
0: They can easily go to my website at hillaryrusso.com Havening, and you'll see a link there to book your complimentary session to hug it out.
1: Once again, thank you so much, Hillary. And until next week, here's to a sharper life.